If you have your copy of God's Word today, Nehemiah chapter 3, um, there are multiple chapters, uh, over a dozen chapters of, of Nehemiah. Uh, we only have this Sunday and next Sunday left in our series, so we wonder how are we going to cover 10 chapters. I hope you're comfortable. All right, actually, we're going to skip a little bit, um, and, and we're, going to, we're going to summarize a little bit next week. Uh, a lot happens in the first four chapters, first six chapters, and so we're going to, uh, we're going to summarize a little bit. We're going to uh, apply some of what we've learned over, over the last several weeks next Sunday as we look specifically at Fort Caroline Baptist Church and where is Fort Caroline headed, uh, and how can, can you take what the principles that Nehemiah put into place with the people of Israel uh, and use them as you prepare for your next passage. Pastor to arrive. Um, I hope you've gone ahead and read Nehemiah chapter 3. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you probably haven't. Um, and if you haven't, that's okay. Uh, we love you anyway. Um, it's a bunch of Hebrew names. Okay? And so, uh, so, so we're going we're gonna to try a little bit of Old Testament history today. Um, and we're going we're gonna to do a little, little, little test. I don't, it's a pop quiz, if you will. Um, so whether you're in the room with us, whether you are online uh, watching us, uh, I'm going to ask you, when I call out these names, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you have heard this name before in a sermon in a church sometime in your life, okay? Um, all right, and, and don't cheat, okay? If you haven't heard the name, don't raise your hand, okay? Remember, Jesus is watching. All right. Uh, how many of y'all have heard of, of that great Old Testament um, uh, figure, Hassaniah? Hassaniah. Man, y'all really are honest. Okay. Um, okay, fine. That was a hard one. I understand. All right. What about Meshulam? Anybody heard, heard of Meshulam? Okay, good. All right. So like, like two people. Good. Very good. I like it. Um, what about Malchijah? Not Malachi. He was a prophet. What about Malchijah? Really? Y'all don't read your Bibles, do you? Man, y'all need to get after it. Uh, hey, hey, I get it, okay? All right, you don't know how to pronounce it. I get it. it, it it's funny, you make my point for me. I'm, I'm so glad. Have you ever known, if, how many of y'all in the room have ever done, this is actually not a trick question. How many of y'all have, uh, have, um, uh, have, have done like a read the Bible through the year plan? Like you've tried to read through the Bible. How many of y'all, when you get to numbers and they start to like, like uh, chronicle the people of God and like give the numbers of the tribes of Israel and the names that go along with it, or maybe even like uh, in Matthew chapter one, they start to give the, the genealogy of Jesus, how we got to Jesus. Uh, how many of y'all just like, just go, we're just going to go past that. We're going to scare, right? I mean, I mean, I, I love how honest y'all are. That, that's fantastic. Everybody, for the, for the most part, does that, right? Have you ever wondered why we do that? Like, why, why we, we just skip? Like, we don't really, you don't really hear it a lot in sermons. You don't hear a lot of, of teaching on, uh, on um, uh, the ge biblical genealogies or, you know, or the, even the passages in Hebrew with a bunch of Hebrew names. Um, these names are super important. Okay, and so, so, and you're going to see why in just a minute. Okay, because what, what chapter three, all of chapter three is a list of the people that helped to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. All of them are important. Okay, and there's a reason for that. All right, and that's kind of today's big idea that the Lord uses everybody in the family, right? The Lord uses everybody in the family uh, to accomplish his work. All right. We spent a lot of time talking about Nehemiah because God gave Nehemiah the vision. Nehemiah went and kind of organized things and got things together. So we spent a lot of time focusing on him. But when it comes down to it, the Lord uses everybody in the family to accomplish his work. All right. 
we're always, and I mean, I can say that definitively, we are always better when we work together than when we work separately. We can always infinitely do more together than we could ever do separately. So we're going to read all of chapter 3. Actually, I'm going to read all of chapter 3. Um, yes, the whole thing. It's 32 verses. Um, yes, it's a, it's a ton of Hebrew names. Thank you for asking. Um, uh, yes, the names are important. No, I cannot pronounce them all. Yes, I'm going to try. So let's read together. Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 32. <sighs> I got this. All right. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. Can we stop there? We can stop there, right? No, we're going to keep going. They consecrated it and set its doors. And they consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built... And next to them, Zachor, the son of Emery, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. I have, I have read this over and over for the last week to try to, try to not fumble through this this morning. Okay. Uh, and next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, uh, repaired. Then next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of... Uh, <laughs> Meshezabel repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. All right, I always have you underline something in your Bible. Um, verse 5, where it says the, the, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. We're going to get back to that in just a minute. Uh, Joeda, the son of uh, Pesiah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, uh, Besodiah uh, repaired the gate of Yeshena. They, they laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, uh, the, uh, sorry, next to them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite and Jaden the uh, Marin, uh, Marinoth. I don't know, man. The, the Marina, Marina th- something like that. All right, let's keep going. The men of Gibeon and a mitzvah. Man, I tell you what. I even went to YouTube and like Googled some of these names. So we're like, they, a Hebrew will pronounce it for you. And so I can like, I can totally get that. I am, I am not nearly enough Hebrew. All right. Um, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, uh, 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 Uziel, the son of Herahiah. Uh, goldsmiths repaired. Next to Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Remember that. Next to them, Jediah, the son of uh, Haramoth, um, uh, uh, repaired the... I keep wanting to add like an ayah into, into everything. Uh, opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the, Hana, uh, the son of uh, Hashabaniah, Repaired Malchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashub, the son of, of uh, Pehath Moab, uh, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, uh, ruler of half the district, of the, uh, basically the other half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Remember that, he and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They re- rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. 
Malchijah, the son of Rechab, a ruler of the district of Beit Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Col Hosea, a ruler of the district of Mitzvah, uh, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, finally. The, and that's important too, underline Nehemiah. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, uh, ruler of half the district of Beit Zur, uh, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Uh, Rahum, the son of uh, Bani, uh, next to him, Ahashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kelah, uh, repaired for his district. After him, the brothers repaired. Bavi, the son of Henadad, uh, ruler of half the district of Calah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, uh, ruler of Mitzpah, repaired another section uh, opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired... Uh, another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired. After them, Benjamin, finally, and, and Hashab uh, repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Masaiah, son of Ananiah, uh, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palau, the son of Uzai, uh, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Pediah, the son of Perosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east of the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Uh, above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. And after him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and the upper chamber of the, uh, I'm sorry, and the end to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Why did we read that? It's unbelievably important. And we're going to see why here in just a minute. We don't have a whole lot of time uh, to go over this together. But I want us to see three things that we find out of this passage that should be as great of an encouragement to you as I could offer you as your interim pastor. One, we see in organized people. Out of the entire names that I just read, butchered by the way, the only uh, name-worthy person that was even read was Nehemiah. He's probably the only one you recognize. Maybe Ananiah, uh, because there's some historical connotation to that. But I mean, as far as most of the, of the names, those were just people. 
They were just regular people. These, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king, and when he came swooping in, he didn't come with a bunch of professionals or insanely talented people. Actually, quite the opposite. Nehemiah was the organizer. He was kind of the champion. He came in and got the people all riled up. He got them all excited. He was the architect of the project. And God will do that. God will place a vision within somebody to rise up and do something to to grow his kingdom or to repair his kingdom. But make no mistake about it. This project doesn't get done without the names of people you've never heard before. Church, never underestimate the power of when God places his spirit and a willingness within and an impassioning within his people. Your church's vision statement says as much. Fort Caroline Baptist Church, right? You are one church passionately united and focused on reaching the spiritually lost in our community through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at, you'll see it on the screen behind me. Or you should see it on the screen behind me. That this is one church passionately united. What, what would happen if this church truly became passionately united around the vision that God is casting for this place? That you didn't worry about the little things, the things that you'd like to change but can't, or the, that you would like to see change but, but won't. But you see the greater vision, what God is doing here. So many people feel that if they can't preach, they can't teach, that they can't sing, or whatever it happens to be, that they have no place within the church. Almost like in that if, 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 they're not, if their giftedness doesn't revolve around this stage, that they don't have a, a part in what God's doing. That's not what this passage tells us. Everybody plays a part, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 In verse 12, Paul says, for just as as the body is one, right? I I have one body. I have fingers, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, fingers, noses, uh, you know, ears. But my body, this is my body, right? He says, for just as the body is one, has many members. And all members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, both Jews and Greeks. And that's the beauty of adoption. If you're not a Jew, that's okay. God has adopted you into his family. Slaves are free. All were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Church, if you believe, and I, and I do, I'm, convictionally I do, I believe that if God is sovereign and he moves people from place to place, from city to city, and sometimes even churches to churches within that city. And in all of that movement, you landed here in God's sovereignty. God, you are here this morning because God is sovereign and wants you at Fort Caroline Baptist Church. If, if we believe that God placed you here for a reason, he placed you here to serve. Never God never, ever, 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 ever calls us out of our lostness into glorious salvation so that we can sit around and watch while everyone else works. He's called each of us to service. Look at verse 5 in Nehemiah chapter 3. It's in, I asked you to, uh, to underline. It says, And next to them, the Tekoites repaired... 
but their nobles would not serve, would not stoop down to serve their Lord. Now, what does that mean? Let's unpack that a little bit. Let's drill down. Okay. The, the Hebrew there, when it says that they wouldn't stoop down, uh, the Hebrew there literally means that, that these nobles would not shoulder the load. So a load that is massive, right? Like if you're carrying something super heavy, you've heard the old adage, many hands makes light work, right? So, so these nobles were watching everybody elsewhere. And we don't know the connotation. And so I'm, I'm probably inferring a little bit into what the scripture doesn't say here. I mean, they may have had a very good reason for But there's a reason that Nehemiah mentioned that these were the nobles. Right? These were people that were looking down on the work that was being done. And they did not care enough to get involved because the commoners were doing just a great job on their own. The Hebrew says they wouldn't shoulder the load. You may, be, you may be here this morning and you're tired. You may have been, it could be some type of physical fatigue. It may be a spiritual fatigue. It may be an emotional fatigue. It may be a relational fatigue. And you walk in and you say, Pastor, I just can't. Like, I am just not in a place where I can shoulder the load, whether it's working in the nursery or in preschool or whether it's teaching or leading a life group or whatever it happens to be. Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm tired rest. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, the beauty of the body of Christ is if you're tired and you came in and your, your, your cup is like on empty, like you are at the bottom. The, the, the most disappointing part of my day is when I take that last sip of coffee in the morning and I know it's my last cup and I look down and I can see the bottom of the cup. What a sad day. That may be you. Your cup is empty. You've, you may be somebody else's caretaker. You may be, you may be the, 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 the uh, emotional rock that someone who's walking through a tough time is leaning on and you, don't, you want to be strong for them, but that means that you're empty on your own. Can, can, I, can I tell you something in love today? Rest. Spend time amongst God's people. Recharge. Be in his word. Be in community. Let us love you until your cup fills back up. And then get busy. You may be hurt. I get it. Dr. Jerry Vines once said that the church of Jesus Christ should be a hospital for sinners, not a showcase for saints. We are not a people that sets conditions on you getting your life right before you come to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, I literally want to exchange your heavy burden for my light one. You may be hurt. The church may have hurt you. Somebody may have hurt you. And you say, Pastor, I'm struggling to trust people in the church. I barely came here today. Heal. Let me tell you, in love, spend whatever time it takes and heal. And as you heal, when you're ready, we want to turn you out to work. You may be lazy. Here's where I meddle. You may be lazy and you feel like you've got all the fire insurance you can handle. You have prayed to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And so the goal for the rest of your life is to sit in that pew and watch everybody else work and you reap the benefits. Repent. You were not saved to sit. 
If you are are emotionally and physically able to shoulder the load of the work that's being done in this church and you choose not to, God will judge that mentality. If you see the lostness around you, and look, this this is tough, all right? I don't enjoy saying this, but if you see the lostness around you and you have no desire to reach them, no burden to go share the gospel with them, and you just want to make sure that the ugliness of the lostness that's out there doesn't affect the perfection that is in here, you have missed the point of the gospel entirely. This place should be a hospital for sinners, not a showcase for saints. The problem is that too many churches adopt the 20-80 rule. And that is 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Can I I tell you something on behalf of the 20 people that are actually working? They're tired. Because they're shouldering so much of the load by themselves. And here in verse 5, you got the nobles who are just sitting around going, man, they're doing a great job. And yet... The people down down that are working are worn out. We desperately need unity of mission. We need to understand the mission and the heart of God where he has planted us. We need to know the needs and the brokenness of our city and be willing to lay down our lives sacrificially to do something about it. When I was a kid, um, my parents shipped me off to summer camp one summer. It was in Keystone Heights. They sent me to Camp Immokalee. Super cool. It was in the middle of the woods. I had a great time um, for the most part. Uh, But you could choose different activities uh, to do on a given day. I chose canoeing because it was on Lake Brooklyn. I thought it would be a lot of fun. I love the water. So, you know, and so, so me and several of my buddies went out and they had these big, long canoes. They gave you a paddle, which I thought was great. I thought it was for hitting my friends. That's not true. Uh, and so, so we got into the canoe. They pushed us out into the water and they told us that we needed to start, start paddling. And so a couple guys started paddling one direction. Me and my buddies are on the other side. We're paddling another direction and we are doing circles. It was so much fun. Well, you can see, this is not me. This guy's too skinny to be me. Um, but this is a picture of kind of what the canoe looked like. All right, So there are places for everybody to sit and, and you, you canoe. But the fact is, is that we were all kind of doing our own thing. And we just, we went, I was so tired when it was all done, we never got more than about 30 feet from the shoreline. All these other people are canoeing all around the lake. Did you see the fish? Did you see the gators? I'm going, No. And organized people who are organized around the vision that God's cast for their church, for the mission that God has cast for their city, will be sitting in the same boat, on the same creek, paddling the same direction. If not, you wind up being like me and my dummy friends. And you wind up expending a lot of energy and time and money and resources, and you don't go anywhere. Don't be us. We were 12 and dumb. But when you rally around the vision, when you have the architect of the vision who is showing you the direction that that he wants you to go and he shows you what direction to paddle on the same creek, when you're in the same boat on the same creek paddling the same direction, the work will get done. Make no mistake, it's not not just the everyman that's doing the work here. There, There are a bunch of ordinary people that just put the work in together, but there were even some more highly visible people. Look at verses 1 and 32. 
verses 1 and 32. They start this passage, this chapter starts and ends at the sheep gate. The sheep gate is very important because, because the priests, so you, you have Eliashib and you have his people that are rebuilding the wall around the sheep gate and rebuilding the door for the sheep gate. Why is it so important? What was the purpose of the sheep gate? The sheep gate was, I, I'm going to blow your mind with theological truth today. That's the gate they led the sheep in for sacrifice. It was important to the priests that they got that part right because nothing was more important than the people being restored to God and the sheep that were led to slaughter were there for that reason. I love the importance of, uh, of the spiritual rebuilding that this, this chapter begins and ends with, with the assurance that spiritual rebuilding was taking place. Look at number nine, or I'm sorry, verse number nine. Uh, Rephiah, the ruler of half of Jerusalem, was there working. He wasn't taking pictures, kissing babies, glad-handing, and then he went back into the air conditioning and ate his grapes. He was out there working. Verse 12, Shalom, the ruler of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. He was out there working, and he had his daughters out there working with him. Everybody was working. Nobody was exempt. Everyone was organized and impassioned to use their gifting to make the, the city of Jerusalem hold, whole again. We see an organized people. We also see an involved king. Now, this doesn't happen without the kings working in and amongst his people. And I'm not talking about King Artaxerxes. All right, he did his work. I'm talking about God. Look at, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What I love about this, what this chapter tells us, is that King Jesus knows everybody's name that was working. He knew everybody that was working, everyone who labored, everyone who bled, everyone who stubbed their toes and he hit their, their, uh, their thumb with a hammer. He sees their labor and he sees your labor. When I walk in on Sunday mornings, I try to say hi to the production crew. As a matter of fact, if you're in the room, turn around and wave to the production crew this morning. If you're on your, if you're on your, your, uh, your computer device or a phone, uh, wave at the screen. You're waving at the production crew. I try to say hi to them when I come in every morning because, and believe me, they want to be concealed back there. They hated the fact y'all all turned around and looked at them. I try to say hi to them because, because folks, let me tell you something. You don't see this or hear this. You probably hear me, but I have to scream. This happens... Because they're faithful. So you need Craig, you need Matt, and some level you need me, you need the people who are, who are gifted in, in singing, but you also need people who are gifted in media and tech. This doesn't happen without it. Next gen, nursery, preschool, kids worship. Y'all drop your kids off and if you have a life group on campus, you go there. Or you come in here and then afterward you go and pick them back up. In the meantime, while you're in here being taught the word of God, they're being taught the word of God because people are faithful. And so we can read all of these names and we can ask ourselves, well, that was fun. What was the point? The point is that each name you see in this passage, in this chapter, represents a family. 
a people, part of God's creation. They mean something to God, and so do you. Galatians chapter 4, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because your sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And if you, so, so friend, if you've been born again, if you have prayed to trust Jesus Christ as, as Savior, God has adopted you into his family. He knows your name, just as he knows the names of the people in this passage. He knows your name. He sees your work, even if it's not visible. If it's not on the stage, if it's not under the lights, or if it's even out in the open, God sees it because your greatest work for the Lord, may, you may not have the physical ability to be able to, to stand shoulder to shoulder or go get down on the floor and roll around with kids. Your greatest work may come in your prayer closet as you pray for your staff and you pray for your leaders and you pray for your next pastor and you pray for the pastor search committee. The Lord sees you. Because he is an involved king. And finally, we see what they did in a record pace. Nine months had passed since Nehemiah first received the report of the state of affairs while he was in Susa. He prayed, he fasted, he planned, he traveled, he inspected, he inspired, and then he worked. And you see Nehemiah's name amongst these people. Nehemiah wasn't just the architect standing back and moving people around. He, he made the plan, he created the plan, and he worked the plan. Now, let's see the result. It's time to see the result of their labor. Skip down to, to Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15. The walls of Jerusalem... 450 years before Jesus comes onto the scene, the walls and the gates were rebuilt in 52 days. Not even two months. It takes Baptists that long to put a committee together, to put a focus group together, to talk to an architect about doing a project that's 10 years out. And if you read through the passage in Nehemiah chapter 3, you, you hear a consistent theme. So-and-so, <laughs> so-and-so worked on the section near their home, near their home, near their home, nearest their home. What an easy plan. Nehemiah says, just rebuild the walls near your home. I'll tell you what, uh, a couple weeks ago, Allie and I were, uh, we woke up to, uh, to, to uh, we've been violated Someone went through our neighborhood and, and uh, uh, broke into 28 vehicles. Unfortunately, Allie's Highlander was one of them. They broke out the window. They rummaged through her purse. Thankfully, by God's providence, her wallet had fallen down on the floorboard. They didn't see it. I know what, it, and let me tell you, that very next day, a 3,000 lumen security light went up in my driveway. You can see it from here when it goes off at night. We didn't even know what was happening. So my family, we understand what it means to have locked doors and fortified walls. How much more inspiring is it to get people to build the section next to their home? It's the greatest craftsmanship you'll ever find. 
How does that happen? An organized people and an involved king. When God's people are empowered to do the work, supernatural things happen. Let me encourage you today. Church, don't estimate or don't underestimate what God can do through you if he calls you to serve him. A dear friend once encouraged me when he told me that if we wanted to do something and it was God's will, that it was God's bill. If God wants it, God will pay for it, he'll finance it, and he will organize the people to do the work. Look at verse 16 of Nehemiah 6. It says, when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. A people who started this journey by being intimidated by other surrounding nations now turn the tables. Everyone saw what happened, how quickly the walls were built, and were in awe, were in this awesome reverential fear of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pastor H.B. Charles once said, right here in Jacksonville, right, down, right downtown at Shiloh, once said that it is the will of God to have the Spirit of God use the Word of God to make the children of God look like the Son of God. Yeah. I can't say it like him. I love how he says it. <laughs> Church, he's called you to the good work. And if he calls you to that good work, he will equip you to do the good work. And when we do the good work, we are more and more and more, day by day, moment by moment, through our obedience, conformed into the likeness of the one who created us. And when that happens, God is glorified, the church is edified, and the world is evangelized. 52 days, only God can do that. But he uses us to accomplish his will. Get to work, church. There's stuff to do. Let's do it. Father, we love you and we honor you. God, I pray if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would trust you today, that they would hear that God sees them even in their own perceived insignificance, that you created them. Therefore, you have a plan for them and they are here today for a purpose. May they know that purpose today and may they trust you as Savior before they leave. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.